0: We're looking in Matthew chapter 6, and uh, if you left your Bible home, you could just raise your hand. One of our ushers will make sure that you get one, because if you can't get into your Bible at church, where can you? Amen? <laughs> if you're not flipping through your Bible on Sunday, there's most likely you're not on Monday or Tuesday. Um, and you know, if you have your phone, I don't know if you're texting or going through your Bible, but as long as you got that phone out, something good's going on. Amen? Amen? but uh, we've been talking, last week we talked about lifting up our eyes, and now throughout the Bible it talks about lifting up your eyes to see what God has for you. Today we're going to, the name of the message today is look again. Matthew 6.22 says that the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. It's so important how you see things. Now, everybody here can probably see, and if you can't, we'll get you up here after service and get you healed. But most of you can probably see pretty good. How many of you have 20-20 vision without glasses? Amen. How many of you are over 50 and can still read your Bible without glasses? How many of you have really large prints so you're able to do that? (laughs) Amen. (laughs) But here it's not talking about your physical eye. It's talking about your spiritual eye, how you perceive things. And how you perceive things will decide how you live. Jesus said if your eye is generous, your whole body, your whole life will be full of light. But if your eye is dark, if it's stingy, if it holds back, if it calculates, your whole life will be full of darkness. In Proverbs 23, people like to say, you know, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, so think positive thoughts. But that's not really what the Scripture is, the main point of that is. It's saying that someone who has an evil eye, who calculates, who logic drives them, that that's who they really are, no matter how they act on the outside. So, you know, only really God knows if you have, a good eye, or an evil eye, and only one other person as well knows, and that's you. (laughs) But how your perception is, that's who you are. That's what the Bible says. I didn't make it up. (laughs) I didn't make the pizza. I'm just delivering it. So my wife always likes to say, I love that quote. It's great, honey. Did you come up with that by yourself? Amen. Amen. The word in in, in Proverbs 23, thinketh, I told you this before, means to calculate, to reckon, to estimate. It's talking about what you can hold on to. And trust me, it's not just about money, okay? We're stingy with grace, with love, amen? In 1 Corinthians, it says you shouldn't count up evils done against you. How many of us hold stuff against people? Come on, raise your hand. How many of you got a list? How many of us is it it numbered? Amen? And it's funny, those numbers always seem to go up. (laughs) They don't go down many times. Because we are doing things with logic. Are we seeing things with a good eye? But here's the great thing about grace, people. If you see it wrong the first time, You can look again. Look at the person next to you and say, it's time to look again. again. Amen. (laughs) Look again. We don't always get it the first time. When you see things the first time, many times it's just with your physical eyes and you go by what you see. But how you perceive it really decides who you are and what kind of person you are and what kind of life you will live. You know, uh, it really is important to look again. I remember BC, you know what BC is? Before Christ, but I'm not talking about way back. I'm talking about in our own lives. Do you remember BC, before Christ in your own life? I remember being at the clubs all the time. Anybody, were you there with me? Yeah, I think I saw you. Uh, (laughs) I remember being there and, you know, the lights are dim, you know, and you meet somebody and they look real nice to you, you know, and you're hanging out with them all night saying, wow, maybe this is a person, you know, wow. Then what happens at four in the morning, people, that used to go to the club and those of you that have no idea what I'm talking about, what happens at four in the morning? They shine those big bright lights on you. And I remember a couple times, You know, here, it's 3.59, everything's great. All of a sudden, they put those big lights on. I turn to that person, and I'm like, oh, boy. (laughs) And I remember sometimes them looking at me like, oh, boy. (laughs) It's like, I'll call you later. (laughs) Because all of a sudden, you saw clearly. Amen. Amen. That's how important it is sometimes to look again. Everybody say, look again. (laughs) You know, they used to have that, what was it, an advertisement or something? that would say, just one look, that's all it took. What were they advertising? Does anybody know? None of you were that old, huh? All right. <laughs> Let's turn to Mark chapter 8. Because, you know, many times just one look is not all it takes. We need to look again. How many of you know that? That sometimes you react and do things after one look without really looking again. Let's look at Mark chapter 8, verses 22 on. It says, they, he came, that's Jesus, came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand, and he led him out of the town. And when he spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and he said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up, and he was restored and saw everyone clearly. So the first thing we see here is Jesus comes to Bethsaida with the disciples, and some people bring a blind man to him, and they begged him, please touch him, please heal him. First thing Jesus does is he leads them out of the town of Bethsaida. Why does he do that? Because Bethsaida was a town of unbelief. If you go to Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said, if the miracles that were done in Bethsaida were done in Sodom and Gomorrah, (laughs) they would have repented. But Bethsaida didn't repent. He said, woe unto you. It's going to be worse for you in the end than even them. How many people do you know who say they are Christians, who come out to church, they see people's lives change. they see people healed, and yet they still walk in unbelief. We've had people in this church, and I'm not judging them, I pray that they're going to church somewhere, who were healed of cancer, who were healed of barrenness, who were healed of hepatitis, all these different things. Miracle! But then walked away from God. Jesus is saying it'll be worse for them. Worse for them than an unbelieving, sinful, it's really scary kind (laughs) of. So that's why Jesus took the man out of there. You know why? Because unbelief stops miracles. It says in Matthew, right? I almost hated reading that scripture. I hated it. Because it was like Jesus couldn't do many miracles there because of their unbelief. It's more like Jesus didn't want to do any miracles there (laughs) because of their unbelief. But he bought the man out because to be healed of blindness, you need belief. And there's more to it than that. But let me tell you something. You know what will keep you from seeing things the way they are? Being around unbelievers or being around people who have little faith. Then you'll have little faith. It'll rub off on you. And you'll forget the great things that God is, wants to show you. So you'll have to come out of it. One of the things I had to do when I started this church is come out of some friendships. Of people that didn't encourage me. You were my friend, Pastor John, at the time. You encouraged me. You came to our first service and played those keys. Bam, bam, bam. Hey. I needed some people to stand with me because everybody else was telling me, who are you to start a church? You got to go in the basement. You got to play kumbaya for a couple years before you come out of the basement, start any church. Oh, they were telling me all kinds of stuff. Go to school, play the banjo. Listen to me. I'm 40 years old. Time is short. I got to do what I'm called to do. Had to get me out of there. So he led him out of there and then he on his eyes. Now, you know how much I love the spitting miracles. <gasps> I just want to see that video. Not the one where he spits on the mud. I want to see this one where he literally spits on his eyes. You'd have to, this, this kind of miracle can only be done by somebody for somebody that's blind because they don't see it coming. <sighs> what's that noise? What is that I heard? (laughs) What, what? I mean, they don't see it coming. But he spit on his eyes. Now we know from the Talmud, which is the rabbinical uh, commentary on the Old Testament, and the rabbis wrote, it's a book. It actually has a chapter and verse. I'm not going to mention that, but it is known by the rabbis that saliva had healing properties in it. But even more so, this is the best part about it. They write the saliva of the firstborn son of a family. So when Jesus spit on the mud and put it in the guy's eyes, that's why I call that message, here's mud in your eye. Because Jesus was letting them know that he was the first son the legitimate, rightful son. Now, why first son? Because many of the kids back then were not always the first son because there would be different moms but the same father. So who was the father's first son? Jesus. But here, it's more. There's more here. I was saying the Holy Spirit, but more than that is that when a Jew spits, it's basically a curse. Instead of saying a four-letter word, a Jew will go, and they do it now, you know. I'm half Jewish, so anything I say will not be held against me. Uh, Does that make any sense? No, but I've seen, you know, there's a group of um, Orthodox Jews in Manhattan. I went to support Israel, and this group of Jews, believe it or not, they don't support Israel. Like, they don't believe Israel should be a nation. And we were talking about it and they were spitting at us. And basically that's a way of, you know, like a curse. So blindness is a curse. So here Jesus is cursing the curse, right? We know that Jesus became a curse on a tree that we could be delivered from the curse. So he was negating the curse with a curse. And then it says he put his hands on him and touched him. You know, when you first got saved, you were redeemed from the curse. But how many of you know, then God touches you with his power, with his grace, with his Holy Spirit, with his love. Have you ever felt the touch of God? How many of you got saved here in this church and you felt the touch of God after you came up and gave your heart to the Lord? Amen. I'm partial to you if you got saved at this church, but <laughs> we all, when we got saved, we felt the touch of God in our life. And then he, he asked the man a question. He said, what do you see? And you know, that's God's question to you today. The thing you're going through, the future that seems to be on hold, the relationship that seems to be faltering, the finances that aren't working, the body that seems to be failing. God asks you, what do you see? And he asked the man, what do you see? And he looked up and he said, I see men like trees walking. He said, I see what looks like men, but it's trees walking. I have a whole other teaching about that, not getting into today. But basically, what it's saying is he's not seeing well. He's not seeing fully. How many of you know that the first time sometimes you see something, you're not really seeing it for what it really is. And you need to look again. And then it says that Jesus put his hands on him again. He touched him again. Touched him again. I just like to touch her. But I want (laughs) to touch him again. You know why? Because the more time you spend with Jesus, the more he touches you, the better you can see. Touched him again. And it says he was restored and he saw everyone clearly. God wants you to see it again, and he wants you to see it right. Amen? Amen. See, because looking again is very important. 29 years ago, I was walking up to the New Brunswick plane platform, train platform. (laughs) Amen? Going to the city to go to work. I'd just been introduced to God, trying to get my act together, you know? I come up to the platform. I see some woman over there carrying this briefcase like this with a big raincoat on. I looked, just went back to my business, and a small, still voice said to me, look again. So I went. <laughs> I looked again. And that same voice to me said, you're going to marry her. Listen, I don't have a lot of Twilight Zone moments in my life, okay? I don't have a lot of, you know, visions and all this kind of stuff. But I tell you as clear as day right now that I heard that. It's so much so, I was renting a room for my stepmother and my father at the time. I just got introduced to God. I don't know if I was saved or not. I went back home that day, and I said to them, I saw my wife. Today, the woman I'm gonna marry, and they were like, What? Scott, <laughs> things getting a little out of hand. <laughs> but I stood by, I was like, I'm telling you, that's the one. I didn't see her for six months. I'm walking on the train six months later, walking through the train looking for a seat. How many of you take Jersey Transit? How many of you don't wanna take Jersey Transit anymore? Okay. Well, you might just meet your wife and have six kids if you stay on that train. I'm walking. All of a sudden, I see her. Like, I just saw the back of her head. It was like I saw it tilted, you know? So I walked by, and, you know, I didn't want to be, you know, too conspicuous. You know, guys, you know what I'm saying? It's like, ooh, ooh, what's that? In my, what's that? Uh-oh. <laughs> and, or, did, did I hear something? I look back, and here's what I saw. She was sleeping, and guess what? I see that a lot now. She could be in the car. How many of you, your spouse, could be in the car like this? You could be like getting into accidents. They're like, uh. how many of you could fall asleep anywhere? How many of you could have fall asleep in church? Come on. How many of you could fall asleep at that picnic yesterday? Amen. I can never fall asleep. I need you to pray for me. But she's one of the people. So I looked, I looked again, and I was like, oh, jeez. You sure, God? (laughs) Anyway, three months later, three months later, I'm walking up the steps to the train. You know, you guys have heard this story so many times, you're still laughing. (laughs) You're OCD like me. So I walk up the steps. I take a little view around, take a look. Who do I see but her down there? But I don't want her to know I'm looking at her. You know what I'm saying, guys? You, get the, you don't want them to think you're looking at them. So I gave that look, and I just went on my merry way. But of course, I had to sneak another look. Got to look again. I went there, and what did I have? Those dagger eyes right at me. <gasps> <laughs> Be careful when you look again. <laughs> it might get you six kids. But sometimes that second look changes everything. Amen? Amen. Some of us just need to look again. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says this. We fix our eyes not on what is seen. We don't look at the things that are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Look around you. Everything here is going to pass away, people. All the money all the silver, all the gold, all the gadgets, all the things, all the bodies you see are going to pass away. We're going to get new bodies. Praise God. But everything's going to pass away. The only thing that's going to stay is those things that are eternal, the things that we can't see. Here's the, thing, the great thing about the things we can't see. They're greater than the things we can see. What God shows you is better than what anything you can see with your natural eyes. What God shows you. When I saw her, I didn't see six kids. I just saw her. But then God showed me after we got married. And he said, how many kids? And I was like, I want 12. So I put up with six. Looking again, it's so important everybody. I'm telling, listen, a lot of times I share my stories because they're real to me. I don't really like going through the internet or sermon illustration books and finding something to make you laugh. I just want to tell you when it's from my heart and it happened to me, it's much more powerful than anything else. And uh, 15 years ago, this church was started on August 27th. August 27th, 2000, we had our first service. We're having our celebration coming up. Praise God. But you've heard my story, you know how the church started and the Ramada in a route one and how I got up at six in the morning or whatever time it was every Sunday, put my little cap on, sometimes in my pajamas. Yesterday I came here at like eight o'clock. I had forgot some of my notes. And I came here and I had my pajamas on and the whole team was still here setting up. And Rihanna goes, is that PJ in his PJs? <laughs> and I was like, no, these aren't my PJs. These are just my comfortable clothes. No, they weren't my pajamas. They were But I used to come and set up the church. I'd have the sound system with me, the nursery with me, the table to set up everything with me in my car. Go there, set it all up, run home, make my family come to church. You know, so, but they were all, all my six kids were in the children's church. And many times my wife, who actually made the church work. (laughs) I was like, let's start a church. She actually did something. But, um. She, had, she was teaching the kids that day. We had a one-man worship team that day. You know, he was playing the keys, the drums, and the guitar, and singing all at the same time. It kind of looked like a carnival. And uh, so he stayed up there. He didn't even go into the congregation. So it was only two women there. Preaching to two women when there's 75 seats is not very much fun, especially when one of them gets up to go to the bathroom or wherever she went. <laughs> You know, do I stop now? Do I wait? What if she leaves? Listen, to be honest with you, I probably preached a good word that day because I didn't have to worry if anybody liked it or not. But um, I preached the message. The message was over. I was not feeling good. I was not feeling great, you know. You're a couple months into this thing. Some of you know how I felt, maybe. Uh, but I was not feeling really great about it. And uh, the worship leader said to me, look again. So I looked out there and I go, there's still nobody here. He goes, no, there's angels in every one of those seats. And you know, that really encouraged me. And I was meditating on it yesterday at the picnic. And the Lord said to me, he said, you know what? Back then, what you didn't see, he said, look again. And I saw all these wonderful people from this church, from this congregation, serving God with a happy face, making other people happy. (laughs) If you hung out with me for more than a minute yesterday, you saw that I was crying. I really was crying because, you know, you you work, you, you keep on going, you do what God has called you to do when there's two or there's ten or there's one or there's five that when you get to 350 (laughs) and 40 of them are putting on light blue shirts to represent your church and making a couple hundred people happy, your heart just, you just can't, I can't tell you how special that was to me. I think I thanked each one of them like seven times each. And if I didn't thank you enough, I want to thank you now because you made my vision come to pass for one Saturday afternoon. You made me feel, you made me feel like, you know what? Everything that you saw back then is possible. There was no fights that I know of. (laughs) Last year, somebody tried to kill the cotton candy guy. I don't know why. But this year, (laughs) there was no fights. Everyone was so nice to one another. And I think it was Rob Santiago, we were just sitting there, and I was like, Rob, I, I, I can't even get up right now. To look out and see what I see, to experience what I'm experiencing, is far beyond, it's more rewarding than anything that has ever happened to me. Because when God says to look again, and you see it the way he sees it, To see teenagers that at one time might have been suicidal, to hear their stories from our youth group, to know their testimonies, by the way, on August 30th, we're having Youth Sunday, the teens are taking over. Look out! They're going to usher and greet and testify and do music. They're practicing right now. But to see young people, Who are ready to take their own life now serving the Lord. To see college and career kids who came up to these healing lines, I can't tell you how many times, saying, I don't feel pretty or I don't feel good at myself. People that you would look at and say, How beautiful is this young person? To see them thriving and serving God. Look again, people. Look again. Whatever situation you might be going through, look again because I'm telling you something God is coming and when it's God, it's something good. Let's turn to 2 Kings 6 to finish the service out. That's right, I can preach in a half hour. Now we know that Elisha was the prophet in Israel and Syria and Aram and all these different kings we're trying to take Israel down. They're the promised people. How many of you know there's an enemy out there trying to take you down? He's, he's seeking who he may take down. May he? No, he may not. I don't remember that game, but you walk and you turn around and you go, no, you may not. I forget. Was it red light, green light? What is, mother may I. Well, I renamed it now. It's father may I. And you know what father says? No. But they're trying to take Israel down. And every time this king of Aram sends this army out, every time he sends this army out to take Israel down, for some reason, Israel knows it's coming. And you know what? When you know the enemy is coming, you can defeat the enemy. It gives you an advantage. Like if you, in football, like if you know what the other team is doing and you steal their plays like the Patriots, then... The Lord shared that with me in the first service, so I had to now. Yes, the Lord shared it with me. God, G, Giants, G, Dallas, Devil, Gotta come up with something for New England, but you know. Listen, when you if you know the weather's bad and you take air out of the footballs, hey, you have an advantage. Zing! Love to mess with them. Anyway, yes, we believe in the New York Giants here. We allow green, but only jet green. Eagle green, no wait a minute, our color here is blue. Oh, God. Why is there cowboy fans everywhere? They're like a cancer. They're like a bad cancer. That must be eradicated. They're everywhere. Every state. Just kidding. So they come back to the king and they, the generals, everybody, they go, listen, there's a prophet in Israel, Elisha, who knows everything you're about to do as a matter of fact it (laughs) said he knows what you say in your bedroom (laughs) not only in the boardroom but in your bedroom so they said so he said well we got to take this guy out so he sends an army to take him out and elisha's servant he gets up early and he, he sees an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots and this servant says to elisha master What are we going to do? Like, look. And listen, why do you think Elisha didn't panic? Because he knew everything the kid was going to do, right? He knew what was coming. Listen, don't consider it strange when you go through a trial. Expect it. Oh, that. Yeah, I expected that. When you can treat trials and tribulations like that, you can win. So he says, what shall we do? He's, and Elisha says, don't fear, for those who are with us are more than, greater than. Remember in math class, you know, the little greater sign? Yes, I actually did go to a little bit of school. I remember that. The greater than. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. You may not see him, but he's there. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who? Nobody. Why? Gail, because he's unchangeable. He's unshakable. He's unstoppable. Oh, don't get me going. When they say unstoppable, I want to like be a torpedo right into that wall, but it might hurt. Listen to me. Unchangeable. Unshakable. He's unstoppable. That's who he is. And he lives in us. Yeah. Greater than 1 yes. John 4 4. Come on. Is he greater than or not? Yes. See, you can expect it and you can know it's coming, but you also should know that greater are those that are with us than those that are with them. Amen. Yes. Let me hear that again. Listen to me, you need to look again. You need to look again at your marriage. You need to look again at your kids. You need to look again at your family that isn't saved. You need to look again at your dreams and your hopes and the ministry you've been called to. You need to look again at yourself. And see yourself the way God sees you. That he has given you a future and a hope to prosper you and put you in good health. You need to look at that sickness again. You need to look at your life again. You need to look at your spouse again. Go ahead, look at your spouse again. Look at them like that beautiful, wonderful person that you said, I do once too. And too lately you've been saying, I don't. At one point you said, I do. Because you looked at them and you saw a promise of a great marriage, great family. And when your kids were born, when they first came out, you loved them, didn't you? Little baby, little baby, little baby. Now they're a teenager, you're like, what happened? Look at them again. Look at them again. Because that teen can be a mighty woman or a mighty man of God. When I see these teen girls singing up here, I get excited. You know why? Because God's got a great plan for them and they're already walking in it. Amen? Look at it again. Look in the mirror again. You know, every day you go and you look in the mirror and you fix everything up, but do you ever really look in your own eyes for a second? Look into your own eyes again. And tell yourself that God loves you. He has a great plan for you. He's not done with you yet. He's just getting started. Look at it again. If what you see when you look now is not from God, then you need to look again. And if it's not good, it's not God. Or don't go, God is good all the time, blah, blah, blah. People go to church, like, God's good all the time. <laughs> Next thing you know, it's like they see something that God isn't good anymore. Amen. Look what happens here in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 17. Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. I want you to notice a few things before we close here. First of all, Elisha saw it already, but he understood that it was very important for the servant to see it. Listen to me. It's very important for you to see this. Second, Elisha He didn't try to talk him into it. Do you know you can't be talked into what you don't want to be talked into? You know who you believe more than anybody else? You. That's one of my favorites. You know, people are talking to themselves all the time. Amen? Don't tell anybody, but we are. And what we're telling ourselves, that's what we're believing. No matter if we're shaking our head... Yes, Pastor Joe, I believe you. And in your heart, you're going, heck no. I experience that once in a while with my wife. She's going like this, and I know that means this. Even though she's going like this, I know it means this. So I see in the spirit, it means this, and I stop. Point being, you can't be talked into it. And Elisha knew. He says, I can't talk him into it. So what does Elisha do? He prays, he says, God. Open the eyes. God, you do it. Only God can open your spiritual eyes. You can open your eyes and see the physical and move and everything you do is because of that. Only God can open your eyes to what's really going on in the spirit. And let me tell you something. There's nothing you could see with your plain eyes that is as great as what God can show you. Amen? Listen, when I look out at our church, I see God shows me greater things. Like I'm never... If God showed me this next year and the year after that the same thing, I'd be like, that's not God. That's not how he works. He's the God of multiplication. He's the God of salvation. He's the God of expansion. He's the God of enlarging our territories. Amen? Amen. But look at this. So he opens his eyes. He prays. God opens his eyes. And he sees horses and chariots of fire. And where are they? They're around Elisha. No wonder Elisha was never worried because he knew that he was surrounded with favor and he knew that the enemy couldn't touch him. He was MC Hammer. <laughs> can't touch this. Ding ding, ding ding Okay. No, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it today. No, I'm sore from yesterday. But listen to me. Whenever something comes at you, say, can't touch this. Say I'm MC Hammer. Get your baggy pants on and start going around. Can't touch this. Cuz he can't. Can't. Greater is he that is in you and you will not be harmed. You'll win and you won't be harmed. That's it. Look again. In Hebrews 11, talks about the hall of fame of faith. How many of you know? You know there's a football hall of fame, there's a baseball hall of fame. We have a hall of fame of faith. And throughout the whole book, it talks about Enoch and Noah and Abel and Abraham and Sarah and Jacob and Joseph. And then it gets to Moses. And it says that Moses gave up the kingdom of God of Egypt, gave up being next to Pharaoh to be with his people, the slaves. That took a lot of faith. It says he left Egypt not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going. And him, like every other one of these people of faith, like Abraham, you know, he was 100, but he kept going and they had a baby. That's what keeping going is. He kept right on going, and what kept him going? What keeps you going when things are tough? What keeps you going in your calling when it doesn't look like it's going to come to pass? What keeps you going for your healing or your financial blessing when it doesn't look good? What keeps you going? Keep your eyes on the invisible one. That's what keeps you going. Look again. Look again. Whatever you're looking at right now that's giving you angst, you need to look again. Because with God, you'll win. And you're protected. It says in Psalm 34, 7, that the angels of God encamp around those who are his. Are you a child of God? You're protected. You a child of God? Then there's a greater one in you than anything the world can throw at you. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads right now. Listen, the most important unseen thing there is is that Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago and that his blood covers our sin. That is the most important thing that we can see that's invisible, that God exists, that he sent his son to die for us, that our sins are forgiven. The way Jesus spit on the curse of the blindness He became sin that we could become righteous. His being cursed on the tree, his dying counteracted the curse that was on our life. And now we can have the blessing that's on his by just keeping our eye on the invisible, by looking again at the cross and seeing what he did. Are you ready to say a prayer with me? Listen to me. When you look out on eternity, do you see yourself in heaven? Do you see yourself with a new body, with a reborn spirit, walking streets of gold next to the river of life? Do you see that? Do you see yourself praising God for eternity? If you don't, you need to say this prayer and believe it in your heart today. So let's bow our heads. Words are powerful. How many times did you want to take them back? That's how powerful a prayer is. So say this prayer when we say, Father, "Father, I know that Jesus, that Jesus is your son. I know he died on the cross. On the cross. His blood was shed blood was to shed. cover my sin. Cover my sin. God, I've God, I've made mistakes. I turn to you now to for you salvation. salvation. You raised Jesus from the dead. Raise me to a new life today." I want, I want to look again and see you. See you. Amen.